in the song that said, it said this, it said, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Of course, the name of the, the hymn was called The Old Rugged Cross. But the cross indeed is, is just that. It's a, it's a symbol of suffering and shame. The cross through centuries it, it has become the, the emblem for all believers, for all Christians, for, for Christianity. But unfortunately for, for many across the world, it's, it's just art. It's just a piece of art or something that maybe we wear around our neck or on a shirt. But I hope, I hope that we will see and that you will see that the cross is really so much more than that. It's so much more than just art. It's so much more than just a necklace. It's so much more than just something that maybe hangs on a wall somewhere. You know, we may not ever fully understand the the pain and the suffering and the, the horror of crucifixion. The Persians, they... They were the ones who, who invented it some 800 years before Christ. But it would be the Romans. It would be the Romans who would perfect it. And they would do it as a means of torture. And then when they would do it correctly, it could take literally a person up to nine days before they would die by crucifixion. And the Romans, they, they did it frequently. But not only did they do it frequently, they did it openly for everyone to see. Not much different than, than what we see today, unfortunately, at times when we see terrorists who do beheadings and they, they put it on YouTube and we turn on the news and we, we see it on the news. Much in the, the same way, the, the Romans did it to, to terrorize the people, to show them, hey, we are the ones who are in charge here, and if you step out. This is what will happen to you. And so they would line the streets, the roads, with crosses for miles and miles and miles. And there would be mostly men, sometimes women, hanging on these crosses. It would be much the same as if we left here and drove down Pellissippi Parkway and, and saw both sides of Pellissippi Parkway all the way to Knoxville lined with crosses and people on those crosses. This is what the Romans would do. So we even get the word excruciating. We get that from, from the pain experienced from, from crucifixion. They had, to, they had to come up with a new word just to describe the pain. And for Jesus, Jesus knew from the moment that even before he was here with us on earth when God put himself into flesh, entered into humanity as Christ, he knew that the cross would be coming. He knew that the cross was happening. In fact, in John chapter 3, verse 14, he says this, Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And we know what comes next, the words that Jesus would speak next. But again, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he says this, it says, And he began, talking about Jesus, he began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed 
and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And in that moment, Peter brought Jesus to the side and said, Jesus, you, this, this can't be happening. This, this can't happen to you. But all along, Jesus knew that this was his destiny. But the cross, the very crosses that he himself would have seen, would soon be a cross that he would be on himself. And we've spent the first part of this evening just reading passages of Scripture leading up to this time where Jesus would be crucified. Knowing that his betrayal by Judas and arrest was coming, Jesus went to the garden and he, and he knelt down to, to pray. And as he began to pray, he began to pray so intently and so deeply and so powerfully, the Scriptures say that, that blood began to pour out of his pores. That he literally began to sweat blood. And as he was praying, he was, he was pleading with God. Part of his prayer was, Father, if there is any other way to do this, I know what's coming. I know that the cross is literally hours away from me. And so if there is any other way that we could do this. In the words that we read in Scripture, Jesus says, But God, not my will be done, but yours. So Jesus prayed, he prayed that, he, that God, it's not what I want for myself, I'll do whatever you want, I want your will to be done, not mine. And it would be just a few moments later that he would be arrested. And they put him on trial in front of the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they put him on trial in front of the Roman government, but it really wasn't a trial at all. The outcome was predetermined, and it would be murder. He would be beaten and flogged until he was literally unrecognizable. 700 years before this even happened, the prophet Isaiah said that, that that's exactly what would happen. That the Son of Man, that, that Jesus Christ the Messiah would be would be beaten until he was unrecognizable, until beaten so badly, so much, that if you looked at his face, you, you wouldn't even know that it was him. And so all of the prophecies from the hundreds of years before in the Old Testament, these were all beginning to come true. And so after he was beaten and flogged, it would be then that he would be required to, to carry his own cross. And it probably wasn't a new cross. It was one that would have been used before where other men would have been crucified on. And so there would have been the remains of other people on the cross that he had to carry himself. The blood, the sweat, all of the other things that would happen to a person would all be soaked into the wood of the cross that Jesus would have to carry himself. And then when he made it to the top of the hill, a place called Golgotha, he would be nailed to the cross through his hands and through his feet. And it would be from here that he'd be lifted up on this cross. And it would be here where a thing called asphyxiation would happen, where 
you would basically just suffer under your own weight and suffocate. So as the people gathered and looked up and they saw this man hanging from a tree and they looked upon him and his disciples, most of his disciples, they weren't even around. We know that John was there, his, his closest and best friend was there with his mom. But most of the rest of the disciples were, they weren't even at the foot of the cross. They were, many of them had gone into hiding. And so most of the people standing around would have been Roman soldiers. It would have been the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders looking up at the cross, patting themselves on the back, thinking, look at what we've done. We got our guy. It would have been other people who, who had no doubt had heard the stories of the things that Jesus had done. Some of them, no doubt, probably people who had seen the miracles that had taken place that Jesus had done himself when he helped a leper regain his humanity. When he helped a blind man see. When he went to a place called Bethesda where he walked around many people who had been invalid and paralyzed and all sorts of diseases and went to one man in particular and helped him get up and walk. Or maybe some of these people would have been inside the house when Jesus was inside of this crowded house teaching, and four men put their friend on a mat and climbed up on a roof and opened up a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down so that Jesus could kill him. And they looked up and they, they saw him. The only way that they knew that it was him was because he had a crown of thorns on his head and an inscription that read, Here is the king of the Jews. Because again, he was completely unrecognizable. And so looking down upon them, Jesus would speak. And he would say seven things. The first thing that he would say, probably one of the most powerful things ever. Jesus looked down and he said these words, Father, forgive them. Luke 23, 34, he says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. After all that had been done to him, after all that had been said, after the beatings, after being nailed to a cross, he still looks down at those people and he says, forgive them. And isn't it amazing that Jesus says that to the very people who, who put him on the cross, his, his enemies even? The second thing that he says as he hangs on the cross, there are two men, on one on each side and there's this one man, both really, all, all, both of these men were as guilty as you and I are. They were thieves. And one of the men looks at Jesus and says, I want to be with you. Forgive me. 
And Jesus says to him this in Luke chapter 23, 43. He said to him, he looks at him and he says, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Imagine that for just a moment. I mean, think about this. This tells us that that no matter where you are, no matter how far off from God you feel, no matter how far away you feel from Him, no matter how deep in sin you feel, Jesus looked at this man who, who knew nothing of Jesus. He'd never been to church. He'd never given an offering. He never served in the church. He'd never done anything except sin. And he asks for forgiveness, and Jesus looks at him and says, I forgive you, because when I leave here today, you will be with me. This man beside Jesus had received forgiveness, and he knew that he was a sinner. He knew he needed rescued from his sins. And only God, only God can give forgiveness of sin. And so he also knew dying beside him was God himself in flesh. The incarnate God. The only one who can forgive sins. And he looked at the man and he said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And as he looks down from the cross, his own mother, Mary, was there next to his closest and best friend, John. Standing at the cross, seeing all that's taking place, listening to these words, listening to Jesus forgive those who had just crucified him and put him on a cross, listening to Jesus have a conversation with the man who knew nothing of him but yet was forgiving of him. The next thing that Jesus says says in John 19, 26, it says, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, talking about John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own In other words, Jesus looks down and says to John, John, I want you to take care of my mom. Then the next thing that he says I've always found interesting because, again, it just shows that Jesus was 100% human as well as 100% God. So the next thing he says in John 19, 28, he says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said this to fulfill the scripture. He said, I thirst. I was thirsty. And this would be something that would complete the prophecy that, that had been spoken hundreds of years earlier. And, and so it says that the, the soldiers gave him sour wine and vinegar. And so it wouldn't have been a nice thing that the soldiers would have done for him. You see, because basically the, the branch 
that they would have dipped this sour wine and vinegar in and, and held it up to Jesus. It was basically first century toilet paper. So when people would go to the bathroom, that's what they would use to clean themselves. And so they dipped it in that. It was like hygiene, and so they dipped it in that, the very probably same branch that was being used for that, and held it up to Jesus. And this would be the taste that would have been left on his lips. And then following this, as the night, or as the day began to turn to night, and the sun seemed to just go away, although it was in the middle of the day, God turned his back on Jesus. As Jesus began to take on the sins of the world, the sins of us, my sins, not just my past sins, not just my sins for today, but my future sins. He took it all on his shoulders and he shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark 15, it says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he would take upon himself the sin of all mankind, taking our place to pay a debt that none of us could ever pay. So when we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, we're singing about how Jesus took on all of our sins. Because that's a debt that you and I will never be able to pay ourselves. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, For our sake, just let that sink in for just a moment. And in fact, instead of, instead of saying, for our sake, because as Paul is writing this letter to the, to the Corinthians, he would have been talking to them personally, speaking to them as if to say, for your sake. So as you read that, you can read it to say, for my sake. He made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so Jesus would take the wrath of God that we deserved ourselves. He would take it upon his own body. In fact, Paul explains this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that, that we were children of wrath, meaning that before the cross, we were all subject to God's wrath, that the wrath of God was squarely pointed at you and I. You see, because we know this, that God hates sin. He doesn't hate sinners, but He hates the sin within us, and it 
angers him. And his wrath, his wrath, Paul says that we were children of wrath. The wrath of God was aimed right at us because God cannot simply, he cannot ignore sin. He won't sweep it under the rug. Sin has to be dealt with. It must be dealt with. And so God deals with sin justly and in a righteous way by pouring his wrath out on Jesus on the cross. So Paul again says this in Colossians 1, he says, And you, and you, and me, and you, and we, who were once alienated, and listen, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled, that means has brought back together what has been fractured and broken. God has pulled it back together in His body. The only way that reconciliation could happen would be that God's wrath and anger would be dumped and poured out upon Jesus on the cross so that reconciliation could happen. In His body of flesh, by His death, Why? In order to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach. Holy and blameless before God. See, the good news is is that God's wrath for sin was poured out on Jesus, and Jesus would satisfy the wrath of God by absorbing it into his death, thus shielding you and I from his wrath. So God turns his back on Jesus. And then in almost a shout of victory, with all that he had left in his lungs, with all that was left inside of him, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And the work of salvation would be complete. It is finished means so much for us. See, when Jesus said it is finished, that means you can't add anything to it. It means that there is no work that you do that saved you. There is no goodness inside of you that is so good that it does something as great as saving your soul. There's nothing that you do that earns God's favor, that earns God's salvation. Because Jesus already completed it. It is finished. It would be here, this death on the cross. This is what brings us salvation. Our shame, our guilt, our sin, all atoned for So again, the Apostle Paul, who seems to be just intently connected to this so well, to help us understand this better, he says to the Romans, he says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, talking about the sin of Adam, all the way back 
at the fall in Genesis 3 where Adam and sin break God's command and bring sin upon us all. It says, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass lead to, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. It's talking about the obedience to Christ, to God the Father on the cross. God, if there is any other way, let's do it that way. But if not, God, your will be done and not mine. And so with his very last breath, he would say these words. Father, into your hands I give my spirit. Into your hands I give my spirit. And Jesus calling out, Luke 23, Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And the Son of God would die. As, as dead as dead could be. Dead. And make no mistake. He was dead. No life. No heartbeat. No breathing. And so to make sure, the Romans, they took a spear and they pierced his side. And the scriptures say that, that blood and water poured out of his body, thus ensuring that he was indeed dead. Our Savior King. We call today Good Friday. And the Bible shows us that as horrible, as horrific, as gut-wrenching, as terrible as it is, we call it good because it is good. There's a little word that we read in the Bible that that really means everything to us today. It's a word we don't think about often because we use it so frequently. But when we read it in the scriptures, it has so much meaning and so much hope and so much goodness. And it only has three letters. The word is for. Jesus died for you. Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah said that he would be wounded for our transgressions. Paul would say, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He 
died for you. Good Friday, listen, Good Friday is for you. This Friday is for us. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So it's good to be reminded tonight why we are here. For Christ died for you. All of these songs that we've been singing, all of these scriptures that we've been reading, all of the imagery going through our minds, is for us. The cross meant for us. Christ took our place for us. And that is why this Friday is good. But the story, the story isn't over yet. Jesus' crucifixion will lead us to a celebration. Because Sunday is coming. Sunday is coming. Father, Jesus, you gave us this day so that we could have life. God, that we would put our hope and our faith and our trust in you. God, that the cross would bring us salvation because you would atone for the sins that we could not atone for ourselves that you would pay the debt of sin for us that we could not pay for ourselves. So the cross is good. Thank you, Jesus, for laying down your body, for enduring the suffering. For taking our beating, for taking our flogging, for taking our nails. God, for giving yourself for us. For us. For me.